Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. And always a a little part of me wanted to maybe be a general contractor someday. And that's actually something I thought about when I left the law. I was like, okay, am I going to start an oral sex company or am I going to become a general contractor? (laughs) My name is Spree Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I call it actionable empowerment. Every single episode, you'll hear the story of a fantastic woman in tech, from engineers to founders to investors to journalists to designers, all sorts of different females in tech who have thrived. I want to share their stories with you so that you can can know what resources, mentors, and life situations they accessed in order to get to where they are today. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast. It is a great privilege to be celebrating women in tech around the world. Right now, we are in Los Angeles and soon to be in New Zealand. Yes, it's going to be awesome to be celebrating women there. But I have the fabulous Melanie here in our awesome Santa Monica Sound Studio. Hello, Melanie. Hi, how are you? Good. So, Melanie, you left stable security (laughs) to become a female founder. WTF. Go ahead. Formally introduce yourself to everyone and tell them about the crazy startup life you entered. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, uh, yeah, my name is Melanie Crystal. I Used to be a lawyer. Uh, I worked at an awesome law firm downtown called O'Melveny and Myers. Downtown LA. Downtown LA. Okay. Yes, yes. I was actually going to school in New York, but I came out to LA for a summer and I was like, LA is amazing. Why would anyone want to live in New York when you can't live in LA? Right. Um, you know, the the mountains and the beauty and just the laid back attitude. And of people. the temperature. And the temperature. <laughs> I grew up in Florida, so like I had missed yeah. that. Um, We're in Florida. uh, Orlando. Oh, cool. I used to live in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, cool. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Yeah, so I I really fell for L.A. and I wanted to come back here. So I was really excited to be in the L.A. office of O'Malveny. And I worked there for five years doing uh, several different kinds of law, but in particular consumer products and healthcare law. Um, And I, I... sort of loved what I did. Like I got some significant joy out of it. And I loved my colleagues. They were so smart and so much fun. And, um, you know, we had lots of in-depth conversations about esoteric legal topics. And, uh, and, and that was all really exciting. But then I started like thinking about my future. Right. And looking down the line, five, 10 year, five years, 10 years and 20 years. And I was like, do I do I still want to be doing this or is there something else that gives me more passion and more excitement right. and that feels like more aligned yeah. with what the rest of my life has has led to? Yeah. And more unstable. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so much more unstable. I don't know. I mean, I mean, that was actually kind of a thing. Like a lot of my colleagues, they, they were buying houses and, um, you know, having families yeah. and, that, and that wasn't I, I didn't really need a house and I I'm not 
I, I don't really see like children in my future. Right. Well, we're getting like really yeah. philosophical. Yeah. On this, I, like, I didn't know five I, minutes of this I didn't podcast. Know I had the Oprah effect. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. I mean, it just isn't like something that I wanted in my life. And so yeah. I was like, do I want to become like, like, do I want to stay in this like lucrative, stable career? Right. Um, to have those things that I'm not actually sure if, if I want for my life. And even if, um, and this is me speaking for myself, even if you wanted those things, like I don't know if I want those things yet, mm-hmm. I don't feel any timeline to them. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important that we go after what we just want, what our dreams are about, and not, not constrict our dreams to a timeline i mean my mom reminds me all the time she's like you know kfc was developed when the guy was 80 you know oh my god that's so cute in in the tech world it's like if you're past 20 and haven't struck a billion dollars you're a loser like (laughs) it's just not i i was listening um we were talking about how i built this podcast and the founder of southwest airlines who sounds totally eloquent He's 80-something now, and he sounds like, I don't know, 40, 50. He sounds like Jack LaLanne or so, you know? Like, I just, I think it's such a shame we put a timeline on things when we're an entrepreneur. We need to, we need to score an IPO by this time. We need to be on the cover of Fast Company and Inc. by this time. We need to, you know, what is it? The Forbes 30 under 30 and then the 20 under 20 and probably next is going to be 10 under 10. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. And I don't know. I I just realized that the stability that being a lawyer brings to you wasn't really something that I valued. And I I wanted something that made me more excited each day yeah um so I like spent six months gathering my courage or perhaps my stupidity yeah. and totally then I left yeah. um and uh and I, and I left knowing that I wanted to start a company and I had a few different ideas one of which I was most passionate about but I didn't really know if I had the guts to go after that particular right. idea because that idea is to help women everywhere have more oral sex. <laughs> what? <laughs> Drop the mic. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know. With technology. With technology. <laughs> yes. Um, sex multi- tech. Sex tech. You know, and I think sex tech is a really important part of the industry. And I kind of would love to start this conversation before we even go into Laurel's with how difficult it is to promote and um, share and just openly discuss sex tech without having this kind of stigma. I know we have this women in tech group and there's a lot of incredible founders in the sex tech world, which is about being empowering, about um, truly enjoying life. And sometimes I'm just going to be honest, sometimes the posts have been flagged and I look at it and I'm Mm -hmm. like, the only thing about it is just that it's in the sex tech sector, but there's nothing wrong with the post. Can you talk to us about what we can do as a community to embrace sex tech? Why there's this stigma of sex tech? What exactly is the extent of that stigma so we could educate people and um, and where we'd like to see it go from here? Are you open to kind of dipping yeah, into that for a absolutely. second? Absolutely. Let's see if I can do that. Um, so the, my first thought is that I tend to think that baby steps are helpful. Um, And I think that with Laurels, we are trying to create lots of different kinds of content that eases people into the conversation that we're having. Um, We've tried to avoid 
having posts that are just 100% about oral sex. Right. Um, and like on Instagram, for example, if we have a really sexy image, then we've tried to sort of like moderate that a little yeah. bit by having a slightly less uh, sexy content because we're trying to reach every woman. We're not just trying to reach women who are incredibly comfortable with their bodies and right. with their sexuality. Right. And I think that for a lot of women... Um, it can sometimes be shocking to get some pretty, like, explicitly sexual content on your feed. Um, so we are trying to, you know, take a route that hopefully avoids the flagging. Um, we've only been live on social media for about two or three weeks. Um, and I, I'm not aware if we've faced that yet, crossing fingers that we haven't. Um, but I think that... If we introduce people to things um, kind of one step at a time, right. then eventually we will be able to hit the like enormous societal change that I yeah. think many of us want to exist. Yeah. Um, and so like part of the goal of laurels is to make oral sex more of a comfortable topic within society. And I think that probably, you know, in addition to the stigma of sexuality in general, there's also, I think, an even harder stigma against oral sex because it's such an intimate activity. Yeah. And I think that particularly when it says related to women's pleasure, that's all it's related to, right? Like when a woman is receiving oral sex, it's all about her. And that's what's so empowering and amazing yeah. about it. But I think also it makes society uncomfortable, you know, women's pleasure and women's sexuality in general. Now, is this mainly because I find having traveled in other countries, I find, you know, America is a bit more closed off to that topic of conversation than, let's say, Europe. Mm -hmm. So have you found the same thing or have you seen that there's commonalities between the two cultures that there's just this taboo-esque energy around the topic? I, I think it absolutely differs from country to country. And the United States is one of, you know, several sexual wellness markets. And it's certainly not the largest. You know, Europe has a huge sexual wellness market. And, you know, New Zealand, for example, yeah. which you mentioned earlier, like apparently the most dildos are sold per capita, per, per capita in New Zealand. Oh, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm going to stay out of there. <laughs> um, but like. That's just. How do you even know that? I I have no idea how I know that, but um, <laughs> so random. Yeah, yeah, but um, you know, so I think that certain countries have greater comfort with not only sexuality but with incorporating sex related products into their intimate experiences. Do you know, FYI, Norway mm -hmm. is a big proponent of not necessarily one night stands, uh -huh. but what their culture uh -huh. and. For any of you who are Norwegian, if I get this wrong, you could totally hit me up on social that I got it wrong. But as far as I understand it, you meet someone at a party, you sleep together because you have to see if you even like that. Mm -hmm. And then you sleep together a few times. And then once you've decided you actually like sleeping together, then you decide if you're going to go on a date. That is really fascinating. Yeah, it's a super, uh, I, I can't call it one night stand because it's not about sleeping with someone and not talking to them. It's about being completely unattached and sleeping with one another, have zero expectations. But if you continue to do it, then maybe you'll go on a date. 
I think that's totally fascinating. You know, I think that there's a lot of beauty in that. There's also a lot of beauty in the complete opposite. And, you know, dating someone for a very long time without even having any physical contact. And then, you know, then when you finally kiss, it just, you know, must be this like incredible, amazing spark that feels really wonderful for a lot of people. Other people, that might not work out, you know? So I'm kind of like a whatever floats your boat kind of person. Like um, that sound that what they this like cultural uh concept in Norway sounds amazing and then also um so many different things sound like they can be amazing ways of like having intimacy as well I think I'm going to introduce the Norwegians to the Kiwis <laughs> yeah totally totally <laughs> like the sexuality in the world will explode yeah um, <laughs> anyway so getting back on topic and okay when did you first fall in love with technology when was that moment or that phase in your life where you're like I want to be part of the tech world I guess tech itself came to me a little bit late but manufacturing and building things came a lot earlier my grandfather was a general contractor and so was my uncle and my cousin and so many members of my family and I remember sitting with my sister in my grandparents, you know, guest bedroom and which also served as my grandfather's office and just looking through his beautiful architectural plans. And I would just stare at them and just try to understand every single component and yeah. uh, like visualize it in my, in my mind and sort of like walk through that house. And usually that would uh, be followed soon after by actually going to the house as it was being built. Right. And just seeing it appear. Uh, and, um, you know, we would often see it in different stages. So like, you know, right at the beginning and then as the walls were up and then as like, you know, the roof was being built and all the different components were coming in. And it was just incredibly special to watch something go from the plans to an actual physical, like beautiful house that, you know, that my family had right. had created. Right. And that was a really special and wonderful feeling. Um, and always a, a little part of me wanted to maybe be a general contractor someday. And that's actually something I thought about when I left the law. I was like, okay, am I going to start an oral sex company or am I going to become <laughs> a general contractor? <laughs> Apparently, like, having passed the California amazing, bar. Most amazing soundbite ever. <laughs> That's awesome. Having passed the California bar, I think it puts you a step above to getting your general contractor's license. So like that was a cool perk. But, you know, also I I wanted to build houses. But anyway, so there was that watching my family build things. And then my dad was also an entrepreneur. Um, He is in marketing and he left his corporate job probably when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13. And he went off on his own. And it was hard at first, but I... I just think he was so much happier doing that. And I was always so proud of him watching him. I mean, he had to find his own clients and he right. had to make them happy. And, you know, whether we earned more or less money that year was dependent on his success and how and how good he was. And that that's so much pressure. But I also found it to be very inspiring. Um, so I think that there were those two things that sort of sent me on an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial like builder kind of path. But then tech happened uh, when I was a lawyer. So I was thinking about whether being a partner at a law firm was something that appealed to me if, if, if that was the path I wanted to go down. But then also 
I was really excited about the idea of being a part of creating something that felt very new. And that sort of led me to investigating types of legal jobs within the tech community. And I interviewed with Google and Zappos and um, some other smaller companies. And what I found is so much excitement and passion for what these people were were producing. I mean, they were just so proud of, of what they were putting out every day. Um, and it just seemed incredibly invigorating. Uh, but what I found is that when I was talking with the people on the business side, I was so invigorated by what they were saying that I was like, I don't think I want to be a lawyer here. I think what I want to do is start something yeah. and have that same kind of like fire inside me that you guys right. seem to have um, about something that I feel passionate about. Sorry, I actually have Tourette's syndrome, um, which is another oh, really? really crazy aspect. of. I actually life. just thought you hiccup. Yeah, a lot of people tend to think that. But anyway, yeah, so that's that. <laughs> I appreciate you being so vulnerable. Oh, yeah. no, it's like it's such a a day to day part of my life that I almost forget that it's significant or that people find it surprising or unusual. But but they do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when I am walking down the street and I let out a big tick, people turn around and, you know, and people look at me like, ooh. That, that was either like rude or weird or whatever. And I'm just so used to that now that it's like, okay, well, you know, whatever. It, it doesn't bother me anymore. Right. Um, I'm kind of a polite person, I think, in general. So the, the rude part of it bothers me a little bit more, like that they think I'm rude. And I'm like, no, I'm not rude. I promise. Like, yeah. I'm polite. Um, but, you know, I, I there's nothing I can do. Like, I can't control it. When you had your tick just now, it sounded like a hiccup. I, I did not know. Um, so what I see on TV and stuff is um, bad language and stuff. Is that do you do that, too? Or is that not? So that's called coprolalia. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. I think it's C-O-P-R-O-L-A-L-I-A. Um, and that happens in 10 percent, approximately 10 percent of the people who have Tourette's. Oh, yeah. So, so I thought that was all right. Totally. Yeah. But I mean, I, I guess I'm fortunate that I that I, I don't do that. But then I also imagine like if I were a person who did that, I might feel the same way that that I do now, which is, OK, well, you know, it's a part of my life that I, um, you know, say bad words and yeah vulgarities or whatever. So when you say you have a loud tick, um, that's not what you mean then. When you say oh, that, I'm afraid no, that of was being... a cute one. No, no, no. I mean, on the street or whatever. When you say some people may think I'm being rude, but I'm not being rude. You just mean by making a loud sound. You don't mean by saying a bad word. Right. It, it's a really loud sound that so sounds like a grunt. It's actually part of why I left being a lawyer as well, because, you know, I, 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 I almost feel fortunate to have Tourette's because it kind of tells me what my mind is thinking and feeling without me necessarily being aware of it. Um, I just started ticking more and more over the years that I was at the law firm. And uh, it got to the point that it was like 60 times a day. And they, the ticks were becoming like more and more distracting and keeping me from being able to do my job and like making my head shake. And, you know, it just you feel it in your entire body. Um, and I just said to myself, there has to be something wrong, like even worse than like what I'm feeling in my mind about like my hopes and dreams and my wishes. Um, I, 
I, I need to see if there's something that I, I can do to make my body stop doing this. Um, and so that was a component of it too. Like, and you know, I, I feel grateful for having something that told me you need to make a change without actually like having to take the step in my mind, because I don't know if I ever would have done it. Like, you know, it was, it was a good job. I liked what I did. I loved the people that I worked with. It was lucrative. There was a path to success, but I think deep down, you know, what my body was telling me is that there, there's something more yeah, and something something different. So, like, go for that, I guess. <laughs> I completely understand because last year I couldn't walk all of a sudden. Whoa. And um, I immediately, from a gut level, felt that it was my body serving me to give me the message that I'm going in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And I had to make some really difficult decisions based on um, that I needed space to be healthy, space in my spine, space in my life, space in my company, space in my house, space everywhere. And if I wasn't protected by my body, I don't think I would have kept going down the same path. And so I think when my body forced me to stop, it empowered me to make the necessary changes. And as you can see, I can walk and stuff now. I mean, it took a lot of healing. It took about five months to um, heal myself, which is, I think, very grateful that some people could never heal themselves. So I'm really grateful. But I get that message of your body is serving you by this supposed ailment. It's actually an empowering thing to help you. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I find your story really empowering. This is my point. I I mean, I love that you own your power. Thank you. Um, To me, I find it to be really related to laurels because, you know, it's kind of crazy to be starting a company that's all about oral sex, something that is that has so much stigma and I mean, good things too attached to it, but also a lot of a lot of stigma and, you know, being a female founder and then being a female founder within a like with a a sex tech company that's about oral sex. Like when I go in and I pitch to an investor, I'm talking with investors about oral sex and there's nothing that I can do to change that. Like I have to talk with them about the actual topic. And I think that because, you know, my background and things that I've gone through in life and my Tourette specifically. Yeah. I think that I'm comfortable, incredibly comfortable going into a room and talking about things that might make other people uncomfortable. And hopefully I'm able to translate my comfort to them so that we all can feel comfy and cozy talking about a topic that often feels taboo. I love it. So why sex tech? Why was this your endeavor into the tech world? Why are you passionate about this specific vertical? Yeah, this specific oral sex vertical. Uh, So I think that one of the things that's so amazing about oral sex, as opposed to many different other, many other different kinds of sexuality, is that it is 100% about the receiver. It's a gift that that receiver gets for, you know, seconds to minutes to many, many, many minutes. And it's just all about them. And I think that's an amazing thing that um, you're able to share with a partner, whether it's your, you know, 
spouse or whether it's a significant other or whether it's just somebody that you met for a night. I mean, to be able to share something that is that intimate is and that is all about you is incredibly, incredibly special. Um, And what I found, though, in, you know, having inappropriate conversations with coworkers about (laughs) about sex when I should have been like writing legal briefs um, (laughs) is that like a lot of my female colleagues and so many of my friends and, you know, me often, like we would be saying no to this really awesome experience when we really wanted to say yes. And, you know, I would talk about why. And, you know, it's a variety of reasons. Like, you know, you just kind of get stuck in your head and you're, you know, thinking about, did I shower today? Did I shower yesterday? Or, um, you know, a lot of women absolutely say no when they're on their periods. Um, A lot of women say no right after they've gone to the bathroom or after they went to the gym. Um, And, you know, even there's women who say yes many times, but then once in a while will say no. There's women who always say no. Uh, But basically, there's, you know, there are no's happening to this wonderful, amazing gift that our partner is often very willing and excited to give us. And, um, you know, orgasms can be really elusive for women. And, you know, you can talk about like the orgasm gap, like, you know, 91 percent. I think that these are the stats. 91 percent of men have an orgasm during a sexual encounter and only 39 percent of women do. And um, like orgasms are, are amazing. They're good for us. They really make us healthier and happier. There's so much great science out there to show that orgasms are very beneficial. And, you know, I think that we sometimes deprive ourselves of this really wonderful experience that can lead us to orgasms and feeling healthier and happier. Totally. Um, Especially so, for any female founder. I'm sure they need a break. Exactly. <laughs> you know, just relax, have a break, you know. Um, and instead of serving others, let someone serve you. Right. Totally. And there really, like, isn't a product out there that helps women be more comfortable receiving oral sex. And, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, education and blogging and, um, uh, you know, sex ed that can, that can be done to help women feel healthier and ha- or feel more comfortable with receiving that experience. And that's, you know, fabulous. Um, but it's more of a long-term solution. And I think that there's a lot of women out there who are just never going to be super comfortable either having oral sex at all or having oral sex after they've gone to the bathroom. Yeah. Like it, you know, it, yeah. it's just, that's a big barrier. Um, so anyway, there's not a good product out there to really solve this problem. Like, you know, some places out there say that you can use saran wrap to cover yourself while you're receiving oral sex. Uh, I mean, it's just completely insulting. It's completely ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. And then, um, there's a product called dental dams, which, uh, you know, weren't made for this purpose. They were literally made for dentistry and they do not help a woman feel sexy or confident or beautiful while they're having this really intimate experience. Um, So the purpose of laurels is to create a consumer product that solves that problem and that helps women feel sexy and beautiful and totally worry-free, but also be able to say yes to oral sex anytime they want. What a major pain point you're solving. Thank you. Thank you. I I think so. I mean, we we did a survey and we found that 80 percent of women have said no when they really wanted to say yes. Like that is so many women. And, um, you know, if we can help 
if we can help some women who never receive it have oral sex weekly or if we can help women who receive it all the time uh, you know, have one more oral, oral sex experience a month or whatever. Like or that like just makes us happy. Take away the emotional burden of it to enjoy it more. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So we created a consumer product that we are launching very soon uh, that will help women be able to say yes when they would otherwise say I no. I love it. Thank you. Melanie, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. I am so thrilled to share your story with the community. You guys, remember, you can say hello to us at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Melanie, how can people connect with you? Uh, Twitter, Mel Crystal, M-E-L-C-R-I-S-T-O-L. If you want to connect with Laurels, uh, I really recommend our Instagram. It's beautiful. Uh, it's at my laurels. Uh, also, we're on Twitter and Facebook and uh, mylaurels.com. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, all the things in the next episode. Bye. Bye. UpGuard, one of my favorite companies in Mountain View, combines asset discovery, security ratings, and vendor questionnaires for the only complete cyber risk solution. Not only do they keep us safe online, they empower women in tech internally. They focus on hiring female engineers to make sure that we rise to the top. So I welcome you to take a look at their job opportunities from Mountain View to New York, New York to Sydney, Australia. They are a company worth exploring. Their mentorship culture is magnetic. Mention the Women in Tech podcast when you apply. Just as they celebrate women in tech, we want to celebrate you too. So make sure to let us know when you've reached out to UpGuard and we'll make sure to feature you on the Women in Tech social channels. We believe in you upguard.com visit them for yourself you'll see exactly what i mean the women in tech podcast is an independent production funded by you the community to support women in tech if you believe in the vision as much as we do please consider going to womenintechpodcast.com that's womenintechpodcast.com and just click on the contribution link to keep this podcast going thank you Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.